0: All of this information is then entered into a special software that has been developed by the IDF and they create a 3D imaging of the building with all of this information and then they replay the collapse of the building and and this way directs them to specifically go to specific areas on the mountain of rubble, knowing exactly what they're looking for.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of EMS One Stop, I'm Rob Lawrence. In the news this week, the story, of course, dominating the EMS and indeed global news, in fact, is that of Champlain Towers in the city of Surfside, which collapsed two weeks ago. At the time of recording, 24 bodies have been recovered and more than 124 are missing. This week, with the prospect of a tropical storm looming, uh, recovery efforts have sadly stopped. And the rest of the building is being demolished in a controlled explosive demo, which uh, happened actually on this morning, the morning of recording. My guest this week was only on the pod a month ago, reporting live on the rocket attacks and the tragic MCIs in his own home country of Israel. Uh, Dov mezel is vice president of operations for United Hazala and is back <coughs> home in Israel now after uh, deploying to Surfside with the United Hazala trauma team. Dov, welcome back.
0: Pleasure to be here as usual.
1: You've uh, been had now. I I told you last time you had a busy month. You've now had two busy months, and it's been a good response to devastating issues and injuries and attacks. Uh, And this one, in a sense, has been no different, right?
0: Well, absolutely, absolutely. Just seeing it in the U.S. was uh, was uh, something you wouldn't expect. It's uh, sites we saw back in Haiti
1: and in Nepal but never expected to see in, in Surfside, Miami. There were a lot of urban search and rescue experts on the scene. And I guess I have to ask the question that maybe everybody's wondering, uh, why do you guys deploy from Israel? So it's a good question.
0: It's a good question. When we saw such a disaster like this, uh, we immediately think, no matter where a disaster strikes, we try to think, what can we in United Hatzalah come and help with? So clearly when we're thinking about the U.S., um, then, you know, you think of task forces, you think of fire department, you think of search and rescue, which is the most advanced in the world in the US. So uh, understanding that we figured we won't be of any, bad, any added value over there. However, uh, what we thought would be, be very beneficial under the circumstances of having so many people uh, still missing. We're talking about 121 people as of this morning still missing under the rubble there. It, and and seeing so many rescue workers working on a, such a tragic site, we thought that the most benefit would come from our psychotrauma unit, which is a uh, a unit comprised of uh, social workers and psychologists, all uh, EMS professionals that know the field and have a specialty in, in, in trauma. And we thought we'd uh, head out. And in pre-coordination with the uh, community leadership and the uh, emergency services there, we brought our teams down there to work throughout the week with uh, families and with uh, emergency
1: services working on site. Now I heard Ellie Beer, uh, who's your boss, of course, telling everybody that you guys are there at the invitation of the Jewish community uh, in the area. Um, but let's talk about the makeup of the team itself. And first of all, we, we we I guess we have to we have to credit El Al because of course they immediately stepped up. And got you guys on a plane and got you guys deployed pretty much immediately. So I mean kudos to them first of all for that that effort. yeah, abs-
0: absolutely they they stood up to the plate. actually it, it's like you said, it was uh, as per request of the community, the Jewish community, but not only to serve the Jewish community. Um, the The building obviously was comprised of, of so many people from so many different uh, um, religions and and at our service went across the board to help everyone there. And the Jewish community is very dominant there and it's very supportive of Israel. And that's probably one of the reasons why I'll stood up the plate to assist in this as well. But
1: the service was really
0: going across the board to help everyone
1: there. Talk me through the deployment from your team. So you, you get off the plane and literally what happens next?
0: So first thing off the plane, we land early Sunday morning. Um, and uh, first of all, go down to ground zero. I need my, uh, my team to get a picture of, of yeah. what they're going to be working with the community and understand the magnitude of this uh, of this tragedy um cuz as being EMS professionals they're all EMTs and paramedics besides their uh, social worker or workership, and, and 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 psychologists um they need to get a feel of what these families these survivors went through and and what they're going to be working with the community and of course the rescue workers on the site, so that's the first stop, uh, and then from there, it's on to uh, to first debrief with uh, the community leadership, social services, and to the uh, two main centers where um, the the survivors and the family members of the missing people are uh, are, are staying at. This is a reunification center and a, and a hotel just up the block from the disaster site.
1: Now, is this kind of almost an, S- an SOP, an operating procedure to literally do that scene, signs up, to see the, the the disaster, the issue, the problem, the catastrophe first in order to go in? Or is this something that you just sort of did on the day? Is that part of the process?
0: This is something that we developed over time when, when we're not involved within a very specific incident from the moment, meaning these people didn't respond on the field. Right. So they didn't experience it themselves. And then working with the with whether it's first responders or people, they then they didn't feel it firsthand. We found that it makes the treatment and the, the ability for them to connect to the people much, much more powerful and much more effective because when the pe- family member are talking about this room on that floor or around the back or the stairwell they know exactly what they're talking about and when sitting down to blueprints of apartments when they're questioning the families with the search and rescue um and with the search and rescue uh uh experts trying to lay out the people uh, in the apartment where they are uh where they were at the time of uh, of collapse then uh then they they need to understand what it was
1: what's the sort of approach the the, the very first thing that a member of the team does when they meet you know their and i don't know what, what what do you even call them are they clients are they victims are they patients what is the descriptive term for them even the
0: description is patients. is patience, is patience. Okay. Very, very simple some of them are survivors of, of the collapse itself that had it made it out of the building some of them are family members of 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 member of people who are still buried there, but as far as we're concerned, dealing with, psycho, with psychotherapy, with uh, with specifics and trauma here, we're looking at them as patients. Obviously, it's not your typical patient. Right. Uh, however, uh, and, and and however that said, as far as we're concerned, this is a session of therapy, unofficial, um, uh, uh, unplanned. But this is a session of therapy, and it has dynamics of its own because some people are are more uh, interested and in looking for this. Uh, for this uh, outreach to them. Some of them are more closed and less willing to to participate. And that's where we uh, have Lucy, our psychotherapy dog, which joined us for this mission, that she comes in and, and, and sometimes just being there, they'll start patting the dog, going down to the dog, crying maybe, and then that will start opening them up independently to start talking about the situation and then provide us with this so vital information for the search effort.
1: As as much as providing the therapy for the the patient, you're also developing intelligence for the rescuer then?
0: Absolutely. So we flew in um, Saturday night with the Israeli IDF, Home Front Command, search and rescue uh, team, which are also uh, known globally for their uh, expertise. Um, They they literally uh, participated every earthquake or mass disaster in the world and with expertise of collapsed buildings. Um, and and part of their technique is uh, is some of their officers do not do search and rescue they sit down with the people with the community and and with blueprints of the building and literally map out every apartment with the blueprints of the apartment and, and speak with the family members to understand where's the bed located where are people sleeping um, at this hour of the night? What do they typically wear? Do they wear pajamas? What color? And then of course, we go into deeper depth of identification marks for future identification of deceased. And, and we're talking about birthmarks, we're talking about uh, tattoos, um, et cetera. And then all of this information, now they mapped it out by 12 flights, all the apartments on every floor, and they every family came and was, and was interviewed independently. Now each interview like this can take about an hour and a half Two hours because they really go into deep depth. All of this information is then entered into a special um, uh, uh, software that has been developed by the IDF and they create a 3D imaging of the building with all of this information and then they replay the collapse of the building. and, And this way it directs them to specifically go to specific areas on the mountain of rubble. Knowing exactly what they're looking for, not only them, I'm talking about all the 10 task forces that are there, work with these maps of intelligence that the IDF brought to the table and are searching in specific areas of the uh, disaster site. So it's not to be just digging through a huge pile of rubble, but rather knowing where they're targeting. And that was part of the importance of taking down the rest of the building this morning because there were areas they simply couldn't get access to because of the instability of the, of the tower that was left.
1: Wow, that's fascinating, and, and and perhaps something that people don't think about that, that that you know you are really combining the 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 effort to both help the patient but also help the responder, and I, and I think that's something that, that that's a point that's well made. Um, in terms of the team themselves, though, of course, you know you you are veterans of many many incidents, and when we spoke last time, uh, we spoke about. Uh, uh, Meron and you know, of course the rocket attacks. And I'm guessing the teams were deployed there too. There, there doesn't seem to be any respite for them. Uh, who's looking after them?
0: Well, self-care is primary for us. Every day, at the end of the day, it'd be at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night or one in the morning when we get back to our base camp where we were staying, there's a debrief for the for the team. Um, and, and we have to do this. Uh, the team has to vent. Um, at the end of the day, they're exposed to all these personal uh, stories from the family members, from the survivors, from people who are waiting for their loved ones that are not going to be coming out of there, unfortunately, um, or not coming out alive. Um, and without wanting to sound insensitive, but this is an EMS, uh, an EMS audience, so so they're very well acquainted with it. Um, and, and and this burden, they go home with 10, 20, 30 stories on their back, each one of them. And we have to process this at night. So an hour every night, no matter what hour, is a process session of our own team. Self-care is is, is priority.
1: The the team themselves, and I think you had along with you, uh, and forgive my pronunciation, but Einat Kaufman, um, who herself is one of Israel's top cognitive psychotherapists, psychologists?
0: Yes, indeed. We had well the whole team. But yes, indeed, she works also with the police and with forensics and, and with many different agencies here. Um, and, and, and the whole team itself, the team was comprised of all the, we we took really the best of the best, those who treated our own members after the disaster in Mount Meron two months ago, um, where 45 people lost their life um, in this crush incident, and, and 230 people were injured. Um, these are the people who know how to, to deal with trouble, but not only that, they know how to deal with the delegation. They know how to go down to a disaster site. They don't need the babysitting. Um, I don't need to be chasing each and every one of them. Each has their missions and 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 and, and there's a, the, if we have the team divided, it's divided some of them working within the community centers. And- some of them working with the first responders coming out of the disaster site itself.
1: There's there's a, a lot has happened now. You guys were on the ground for just a week. But from what I think I've gleaned from you is that the, the picture that you developed is clearly going to help. And as you say, we're talking to an EMS audience. We now realize this is a recovery, not a rescue. So it's going right. to aid that process.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, we understood that, that the impact will be in the first week. Obviously, this is now moving into, it has been declared officially, but more or less moving into recovery operation, uh, which uh, which will take time. It will take weeks, uh, not days, especially with the weather conditions there. The teams are working under unbearable conditions from, from extreme heat and humidity to, to pouring rains and thunderstorms. Um, and And definitely, it was, I, I think, the most uh, critical part. It was really the, the the first shock. We didn't arrive after the first hours. The, the incident was on Thursday. We arrived early Sunday morning because of logistics to get over. Um, and, and the teams that were, were that we met um, Sunday morning were were stressed. This was before they even were able to roll in additional task forces. The teams that were really working there the first seventy two hours were, were 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 giving their their, their souls literally. And and we try to provide some relief to them as well with our team and with our dog. And and looking forward, I think the teams are already going into a process there of protocol. And and, and I don't wanna call it a routine, but it's a routine. Um, And it's gonna be a long routine and it's gonna be difficult. And we're still working with the community there because the families have a lot of processing to do throughout this time um, in order to get to closure, which which might take days or weeks. Um, And we're trying to support those efforts as well.
1: I mean, some of the images I've seen on television certainly have sort of conjured up memories of the nine eleven pile, and again, that was a process that took a long, long, long time, and and, and very delicate, uh, very emotional, very traumatic for everyone involved. And uh, as you say, this is going to go on now for some considerable time, and. Uh, you know what we mustn't do is is kind of just put this to the back of the news story. Once once the you know the first week has has, has come and gone, you know we must remember that these these folk that are out there that are working, uh, as you say, with such passion and conviction, now to recover, um, you know the 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 bodies and the loved ones of those those that are bereaved is an absolutely essential task. And uh, you know we're going to follow that through all the way, uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know we will see. Some some lessons that are identified that will maybe help us, and I think certainly help the construction industry without a doubt. There's certainly stories of that in the future, um, and uh, that I think is is a, is a major takeaway. If you had to pick sort of one lesson that you identified just from this deployment itself, Dov what would you say that your takeaway was?
0: My takeaway from this, well, first of all, I'll, I'll just acknowledge and, and reiterate what you were saying about not forgetting this because the EMS professionals, the firefighters, the task force, everybody out there, these guys are working around the clock and we mustn't forget them and and I salute them. And my my biggest takeaway from this is self-care for the teams. As as an EMS professional of many years, I've grown to see the importance of this. And and I think that the ability, I mean, sometimes in-house we're not prone to run to the psychologist because we're all macho Um, And I think the ability to maybe connect an external team that shows up, which is not only not from your own squad or from your station or region, but literally from a different continent, enabled people to open up and vent without it going on any record. But yes, taking care of themselves. And that's a takeaway that I'm I'm taking with us to definitely push forward in future disasters, God forbid, to come in and put more emphasis on the first responders in the field. Because internally, Not everybody goes to get the help for many different reasons. But when they have an external um, partner, colleague, that they can feel that objectively will never disclose this information to anyone, this discussion, this session, this working with the dog, this venting is something that is crucial for all of us.
1: And that's good to know. And I think that because we're now coming off the back of COVID, and I think because certainly in the US and I think globally, EMS staff are exhausted both physically and mentally. And and I suspect that that there is now less of a stigma and more of an ease to go and talk to somebody now than I think that there ever was. You mentioned people with macho, that was always the kind of suck it up buttercup um, way of sort of EMS of yesteryear. Hopefully now people are realizing that, you know, thank goodness the management are paying attention. There are there are programs, you know, or there should be programs in place across organizations. But your points are well made. That uh, you know, you need to talk to somebody. You need to vent. Um, I was having a great discussion about the role of chaplaincy in EMS. Again, for that very point that they're not in the chain of command, you know, they can you know almost be the barometer of the situation of morale within any group, organization, or indeed rescue task force.
0: I, I strongly agree with you, Rob. Um, uh, chaplaincy is so important, and we actually saw it down there. Um, there were a lot of chaplains um, from many different religions. Um, at working on the ground with the community and with the emergency services that were working there. I think it's very beneficial in situations like this. Faith is, 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 is a vital role for a lot of anyone who's a believer. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim or whatever it is. Um, uh, faith is a, is a tool, is a tool for these people um, to, to continue working. And I saw this there, and it was it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see whether chaplains there all over the, the both on site of the disaster on Ground Zero, and also in the in the community itself.
1: And also, that gives us all hope that you know we as a EMS profession will, will learn from this, and, and hopefully we do. Dov, I'm going to leave it there. And uh, thank you so much for, once again, jumping on a, a call at a, at a moment's notice when, when Rob calls Dov's answers. So thank you, mate, for doing that. I appreciate it. But, uh, you know, you have some very, very wise words that everybody will benefit from.
0: Thank you, Rob, for having me. And uh, Godspeed with everybody out there.
1: That was Dov Mazel. But before you go, don't forget, on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, to stop and give us a like, give us a rating so that we go up in the searchability and more people will listen to my conversation with uh, Dov Mazel. Dov, how can we follow you, mate?
0: Uh, Dov Mazel on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I don't do much tweeting, but LinkedIn. Dov Mazel, LinkedIn. Please connect with anyone. Have any questions? Feel free to shoot them out. We're partners and we got to share experience because. We're nothing without sharing each other's experience.
1: So that was Dov Maisel. I've been Rob Lawrence. You can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or over on LinkedIn. So once again, Dov, thanks very much. And to everybody out there, see you later. Bye for now.